This podcast is a proud member of the That Moment In Podcast Network. Check out the network at thatmomentin.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this another brand new episode of the Cinema Recall Podcast over at thatmomentin.com. I'm your host, The Vern, and I'm very excited to have with us a new guest. We have with us Justin from the Casual Cinecast Podcast. Hello, good sir. Hello, how you doing? Good, 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 good. Uh, today, we are going to be discussing Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdom and discuss our favorite moments from that movie. But before we do that, let's get a chance to talk to Justin. Uh, Justin, you're one of the hosts of the Casual Cinecast podcast, which you can find at casualcinemedia.com. And I'll be honest with you, man. I just started listening to this podcast not too long ago, like a few weeks. And I love the fact that you do uh, new release movies as well as older movies. You got a great series all about Criterion movies. Um, but tell the listeners out there, how would you get started with this podcast? Yeah, so thank you for the compliments, first off. <laughs> and uh, I am friends with the two guys that I do the podcast with, Chris and Mike. We've been friends for a long time. We actually, all three, used to work at a Blockbuster together, for oh, those so out there who <laughs> remember that. I used to work there, too. Not, yeah. not yours, but I used to work at one. Sure, yeah. And so we all used to work together, so we all kind of have kept in touch and talked film. And uh, Chris and I... We're living it. We both live in Houston, in which we haven't lived near each other for a long time, but we started living near each other. So we thought, let's do a podcast. And so originally we started as a Criterion Collection only podcast where we were going to watch from start to finish, going in like spine order, starting at number one through all of the Criterion Collection. And it was just myself and Chris. And Star Wars The Last Jedi came out, and we were like, man, we really want to talk about this one. <laughs> you know, We're kind of stuck on Criterions, but we, we want to kind of do a podcast on The Last Jedi. So we started doing these sort of bonus episodes, like a week off from like the Criterion ones. And uh, then it slowly started becoming doing more and more new films. And we had uh, our friend Mike, like I said, that we had always talked film with ever since Blockbuster. And we thought, you know, a third voice would be awesome. And, you know, this is all of our first experience podcasting this is our first attempt at it and so far it's it's been a lot of fun yeah i think uh the episode i listened to recently was your episode about the killer and hard-boiled because i remember having those old dvds of criterion and but there's one show i'm excited to listen to and i had no idea that it was a criterion release and that is this is final tap yeah it's it's one of their first like dvd ones before they were ever doing blu-ray and it's very out of print and uh, it's not that great of a DVD release, to my understanding, but there's like better Blu-rays of it now. But it's still officially a Criterion title. Really? Okay. What? Well, kind of, yeah, like uh, I've noticed too that I have a few Criterion Laserdiscs in my collection, including Akira and yeah. 2001. And I, I still, even though I have like the edition of Blade Runner that has like all five different cuts, I still want to own that Criterion Laserdisc of Blade Runner. And that's one thing I really want to put into my collection because I'm a big fan of that movie. So if, if if you ever do discuss that movie on your show, make sure you tweet me so I can listen to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got five versions, so what's holding on to one more version? I know, right? Well. See? Damn right. I like that. You can find them also on Twitter at Casual Cinecast. Um, great to have you on the show. We are going to get into our moments about Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdom, but I'm going to put a new section on this episode and going forward with more episodes. I want to find out what our guests and I have been watching lately. You never saw The Fly? I never saw The Fly. The Fly was great. Well, I never saw The Fly. Did you see The Fly? Of course I saw The Fly. I never saw The Fly. He saw The Fly. Well, I never saw The Fly. Everyone saw The Fly. No, I never saw The Fly. My parents saw The Fly. I never saw The Fly. My children saw The Fly. Shut up. I never saw The Fly. My cousin saw The Fly. Shut up. I never saw The Fly. My brother-in-law saw The Fly. Shut up. I never saw The Fly. My chiropractor saw The Fly. Shut up. So... I'm going to start with you, Justin. What have you seen lately that you feel compelled to talk about? So I've been watching a few things lately. The 
newer thing that I've been watching lately is I've been catching up on the Mission Impossible films to get ready for Fallout that's coming out, and I think in about a month, month okay. and a half, something like that. And I just watched Ghost Protocol, which is the fourth in the series. Yeah, and oh, that's so good. It is so, so good. I have not actually seen it since theaters where I actually I saw it in like a real like floor-to-ceiling IMAX. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that skyscraper sequence there. Yeah. Holy shit, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible, and and my girlfriend hasn't seen any of the Mission Impossible's to this point, but she really likes Tom Cruise, so I've I've been sitting her down to watch these. So we got to the fourth one, and we both loved it. I I find it interesting is it's one of the few series I can think of where the films just keep getting better and better and better. I think that for me, the fourth one is probably my favorite next to the first one. Because the fourth one you got directed by Brad Bird, first one's Brian De Palma, uh, and then it goes four one. Um, I forgot who did three, but three's also... J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams, very good, yes. Uh, three, uh, and then maybe five, and then two. It's yeah, I... Of them. Confession, I haven't seen five yet. As okay. much as I love the series, I just, it just... I was very, very, very busy when five came out, and it just completely passed me up, but I'm watching it probably within the next week or so. Nice, nice, very cool. Yeah, um, yeah well, speaking about uh, Brad Bird and doing um, Mission Impossible 4... I saw The Incredibles 2 this week, and for a sequel that took 15 years to make, it's actually a lot of fun, but I don't think it's as good as the original. I know many people say that it will never be as good as the original, and I guess my biggest issue with Incredibles 2, without getting into too many spoilers there, is that it kind of repeats the same story of the first one a little bit, it just kind of switches genders. Um, I don't think the villain is that great, and they try to make it to be a bit secret, but you know right away who the villain's going to be. Um, there's a great fight sequence between Jack-Jack, the little baby, and a raccoon. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> the action sequences... The, I will say this, though. The action sequences are a little bit better, um, but I guess I want them to dive more into superheroes being illegal... And I guess more of the family dynamics instead of just having... I, if you don't know the story of this one, folks, in the story, there's this one rich tycoon that wants to get superheroes back on the map. And he decides to have Elastigirl be the big sportsperson for his campaign. And so that means that she has a job. Mr. Incredible does not. He's stuck with the kids. And so there's like... Scenes of her fighting crime, cut to comedy sequences with Mr. Incredible and the kids, and I guess it's fine, but I kind of want to have a movie where the whole family works together, I guess, and I was missing that in there, so it's good. I'm kind of surprised that it took this long to get released, because the story is not really that groundbreaking compared to the original, but yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. I think that's the next one we're doing on the podcast, which I'm actually taking this next week off, so I don't have like a urgency where I have to watch it by a certain yeah. amount of time so we can record, but I will see it at some point. Were you a fan of the original Incredibles? Yeah, yeah, big fan. I actually saw it, ended up seeing it twice in theaters, which is not something I do all the time. Oh, nice. Oh, that would be great to see. All right, well, let's do this, folks. Let's take a small break. We'll play some ads from some other great podcast shows, and then we'll be back to discuss about Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdoms. Stay tuned. We'll return after these messages. Hey there, bad movie fans. I'm Honor Knight, head cinematic flusher from the Soiled Restroom Cinema Podcast. Do you like playing with cinematic turds as much as we do? Every Thursday, we scour the bowels of streaming media to bring you the absolute worst Hollywood has to offer. Get in on all of our flushing action at our home restroom on the net, SignalsOfFury.com, where you can subscribe to the show and follow us on social media. Soiled Restroom Cinema. We're here to flush it so you don't have to see it. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Hello everyone, this is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay, yeah, thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. 
Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? okay? That's what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't buy that. That's just how <laughs> it works. Somebody put my batteries in backwards I think that's gonna be a dominant factor I lack words, I just grab my stem The momentum seems to be what I am most missing I'm sitting down Could it be my position? How about the pipes I've been hitting? Now this is forcing floors Important questions Is it warm when your fork is electric? Are there wars and corners of your head That you just can't afford to connect with? I bet Finally a warning sign Slapped on the flash spot before your mind As if a magic relativity settles in While I'm a lit Till they do the devil has Or broken their homes are in the details Just scaring all the females And they're trying to see that we don't prevail We shall That was a small sample of the song Suit Yourself from the band Snailmate off their album Love in the Microwave. Now, Snailmate is a two-piece band. They hail from Phoenix, Arizona, and they consist of Karen Lander on vocals and synth, and you have Ariel Monet on drums and vocals. And it's hard to describe what they are, but they are just this really hardcore two-set I saw them in concert in Minneapolis not too long ago, and I was blown away by their sound. Just imagine the way it stripes, but with no guitars. It's just drums and a synthesizer, and they do a combination of like rap and punk and hip hop and electronica and thrash and dubstep, like a whole bunch of genres into one. They are a lot of fun, and you can find out more about their band by going to the website snailmate.com. All right, that's snailmate. Com, and they're listed on SoundCloud and Bandcamp. Uh, check them out. I think they're a lot of fun. But yeah, that was a song, Suit Yourself, off the album Love in the Microwave. They have several other releases. Check them out, folks. I highly recommend them. Now, back to the show. Oh, hello. I'm Bill Murray. On the set of Moonrise Kingdom, a new film by Wes Anderson. Who's in it? Frances McDormand. She's a police officer in Fargo. Edward Norton. He does a lot of psycho work. He's playing against type. Bruce Willis playing a policeman. Typecast, I guess. Jason Schwartzman's in the film. Oh, Tilda Swinton's in this one, too. She's tall. She's Scottish. She's pretty. She can do whatever she likes. And here I am, living La Vida Loca. And we are back, everybody. Welcome back to the Cinema Recall Podcast over at ThatMomentIn.com. Those are some great ads from other great podcast shows, and I'm not just saying that. They're not paying me to say that. I actually generally love them, so please check them out. So today, we had a poll of, uh, well, not today, but last month, we had a poll of Wes Anderson movies to discuss about, and we had, like, Rushmore and the World Tenant Bombs and the Grand Budapest Hotel and we also had um Fantastic Mr Fantastic Fantastic Mr. Fots <laughs> and the winner of the poll was Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdom, which I'm actually gonna be dubbing this Wes Anderson's Badlands because it's about two kids and one of them they all go out into the wilderness but without the murder. It's Badlands without the murder that happens, all right? And a bunch of uh, scout leaders and parents come chase after them. Um, now, I want to get into your thoughts about this movie. Um, because I think this was his first PG-13 movie. His first, well, I guess not, not John Rushmore, but his other movie dealing with kids. Um, but let's get into your thoughts about uh, Moonrise Kingdom there, Justin. Yeah, so just like general thoughts, or are we doing moments right now? No, no, I, so just, I, want to, I want to hear like your general thoughts about uh, Moonrise Kingdom and Wes Anderson in general. Like, what was the first okay. Wes Anderson movie you watched, and then did your general thoughts about Moonrise? 
Sure. So the first Wes Anderson movie I watched was probably Rushmore because I remember it being on Comedy Central. Of course, I had no idea who Wes Anderson was. I probably couldn't have told you any director's name at that point in my life. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, yeah. And of course, I, I liked it. There were jokes that I liked that I, I really loved the uh, these are OR scrubs. And he says, oh, are they <laughs> like, like that joke? always just really got to me then. I thought it was great. And so so I enjoyed that one. And then. You know, from there, I think the next one I watched was Life Aquatic, and then I kind of discovered, oh, this is Wes Anderson, and he has this quirky style, and I went and watched all of his stuff. My favorite film of his is probably Bottle Rocket. Nice. Most people don't because... pick that one. No, and I, I what I really like about it is just how simple it is, and it reminds me of a film that like almost anybody could pick up a camera and make. Obviously, he has like Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson in it, which is helpful, but they were you know, just as much of nobody's at the time as like your friends would might be, you know? Yeah. I mean, Bottle Rocket seems to be like the the least Wes Anderson y looking movie. I know it's his first one, he didn't really de- develop his style. And I think both Moonrise Kingdom and the Jarlene Limit the Jarlene Limited also have that very sparse use of style for those movies. Um it's they don't use uh, too much. I, I I guess y'all use those really great band sets and yeah. use the camera trickery, but it seems very simplistic. Mainly the fact that Wes Anderson uh, both shot Moonrise and Bottle Rocket in the 1.85 aspect ratio compared to the 2.35 that he does for all of his other films. Yeah, um, it is just feel, and also the budget is more strained. It dealt more with using actual locations but adding a few props in there and set pieces to make his style stand out more so I actually enjoyed that a lot um, for me I actually did see Battle Rocket first because I was working at a video store and someone called it like Reservoir Geeks and it's about geeks <laughs> being criminals and that intrigued me to watch that So, and I really enjoyed that flick and then I saw a trailer for Rushmore and I remember recognizing the name of Wes Anderson, so I was like, oh, all right, I'll see this out. I think my favorite film from his has to be The World Tenenbaums. That's yeah. the one I can watch over and over again. And at a second place, it may be The Isle of Dogs. That may be oh, my wow. second place movie. Uh, but also really enjoyed the fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, I really enjoyed Rushmore. I enjoyed the plays that Matt Fisher and his team come up with. Yeah, those, those are super fun. Yeah. So, um, but we're going to get into uh, Moonrise Kingdom, and I have to I have to tell you this now, Justin. This may be one of my least favorites Wes Anderson movies, next to like the Jarlene Limited, and maybe you can maybe help influence me or change my mind. But I think it has to do with maybe the casting of the kids because this was their first movie, and they're not professional actors. And it shows, and I don't think these kids have big chemistry, um, but I want to hear about your favorite moments of this, and maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I just had, I like all the other cast members, like Edward Norton and Bruce Willis, um, but yeah, let's, I guess let's just get into your thoughts of this right now. Um, sure. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... I don't know that I'm going to do a great job of convincing you otherwise, because I'm pretty much exactly where you are. This is, I, although I would say this is hands down my least favorite Wes okay. Anderson film. Okay, <laughs> even right, more, okay. more oh, so really? than Yeah. Holy shit! All right, we're, we're, <laughs> I, like, I, I was really kind of worried about that, but I'm kind of glad that we're kind of in agreement to this. Um, yeah. This this was my second time to see it, and the first time I watched it, I wasn't very big on it. I haven't had a desire to watch it again, so it's one reason I was excited to come on and do this podcast because I said, okay, this is the this is the excuse that I need to come revisit Moonrise Kingdom. And with all of Anderson's other films, I find that on a second viewing, I always enjoy them more or appreciate something about them more. Like I'm, I have to know what I'm in for almost mm-hmm. to to be into them and. I thought that might happen with this one, and, and it sure didn't. Like, I just could can't get into this film. And almost, I think, for the exact reasons that you're saying, like, the cast is one thing that I have an issue with. And I feel like he has his, like, kind of regular players there that get this Wes Anderson sensibility. Because I think the performances he requires for his humor and his style 
are like really specific mm-hmm. and really important, even though they seem very minimal. I think there's a lot to them in terms of like skill and talent to pull it off. And I think some of the kids, specifically for me, like the main the main uh, boy, doesn't quite pull. I feel like he's doing a, a Wes Anderson performance at times. He's like really trying too hard, I guess, to be that Wes Anderson cast. Yeah, the two main actors in this are Jared Gilman, he plays Sam, and Kara Hayward, she plays Susie. And these are these two kids who meet on this, I guess, I don't even know where it's at. It's like some sort of uh, New England island, I guess. And he's in some sort of Boy Scouts. And she's a girl at a play, and they meet, and they start to become pen pals. And then all of a sudden, they decide to just run away together. And so after they do, uh, Susie's parents, uh, played by uh, Bill Murray and Francis McDormand, uh, they go searching for him. And then you have Edward Norton. He plays the head of the Boy Scouts. Him and his troop try to search for Sam. And that's what happens. And so there's a lot of cutting back between fourth of these characters. Um, that's kind of gen- that's generally the plot line of the movie. Uh, and there's really not much more to it than that. Yeah, you learn some stuff about Sam's parents. Uh, you know that they were either killed or they're missing. Um, the only thing you really know about Susie's parents is that uh, her mom is having an affair with the police chief, played by Bruce Willis, and that's really it. I kind of felt like this movie could have been a short film, um, and I, I don't want to take away time from you, Justin, if you want to talk about your moment there, but that's I just want to give a quick little pop description of that. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I, I agree with you on the it could be a short film, because I feel like some of the parent stuff doesn't quite get developed enough. You know, we have those Bill and Bill Murray and uh, Princess McDormand who are both lawyers and they kind of set that up and we have maybe one scene of the two of them talking, but you know, the film is really all about the kids and, and I think it could have been more focused. But, yeah. yeah. But let's get into your moments right there and then I can discuss, um, sure. Issues I have with that. Okay, so I'll, yeah. So I'll go with my, my favorite section of the movie and that is when, the main boy and girls, uh, Sam and Susie. Susie. Yeah, Sam and Susie, they uh, get to the inlet and they set up camp and they're just kind of hanging out and living on this beach up until the point where everyone finds them and, and catches them. And specifically, I love the scene that starts with Susie starting the record player and then she runs off screen and the song starts and they come back in and they dance for a little bit. And then they end up having like their first kiss. Can you French kiss? I think so. Is there any secret to it? The tongue is touchy, Shelby. Okay, let's try it. It feels hard. Do you mind? I like it. Tilted head sideways. You can touch my chest. I, uh, I think they're gonna grow more. <laughs> and I think that scene appeals to me because of my love of like French new wave cinema and like Jean-Luc Godard, because this reminds me very much of one of my favorite films of band of outsiders. Oh, okay. have, have you seen this, that one? I have not seen that one. No, that's probably, I've, I've not seen that one. I know I haven't, I know I've seen weekend and I have seen, <laughs> of course, um, breathless. Uh, but I've, of course I've, 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 I don't think I've ever seen band of outsiders. Yeah. There's a, there's a dance sequence in band of outsiders. That's, 
just really delightful and fun in that. And this reminds me of that and where the characters just seem to like take a break from the movie and the movie takes a break from the plot and they just kind of dance for a okay. while. And I, I just really like that sort of thing. And like I said, it, it reminds me of one of my favorite films. And um, they also have this really great sort of awkward chemistry. Like the, it's one of the times that the kids are performing really well, I think is when they, they hug and they kiss for the first time. And uh, my favorite part is when she's tells him, you can feel my chest if you want to. And so he puts his hands on her chest and then she says, oh, well, I think they're actually going to grow in more or something like that. Okay. <laughs> and I just I find that interaction really funny of almost like you can touch my chest and he does. And then she it's almost like she realizes, well, actually, I don't have a chest to touch at this point in my life. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> Try to be honest about that. Um, here's a cool thing: the song that they play on the on the record player, that is from artist April March, who listeners may know as being the artist who did the main theme or the end theme for Death Proof, the Chick Habit song. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I knew that name. I was trying to figure out where it was. So I love that song. Uh, I listened to like a lot of her other songs, and it's, she's really good. Like the '60s. Uh, guitar sound, it's, yeah, a, a lot of fun, uh, definitely check that out, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I do know that, uh, there is, like, one listener on here who found that sequence to be disturbing, in fact, when this movie did win the poll, there were a few comments about saying that, oh, it's so great that this won, but we did have one person say, like, oh, really, that one out of all these other films, and we're kind of talking online, he's like, it's not a great film, but I just find it very awkward that these kids are in too much of an adult relationship. And that's one of his big issues with that. I don't know if they're really that adult. They don't actually have any sexual intercourse with each other. Um, yes, they, they made out, but it's all very innocent in the way it happens because they don't know exactly what they're doing. And... So, but yeah. I, but at the same time too, I try to see it be a little creepy, you know, two preteen girl, preteen kids in their underwear. Um, I mean, guys, this could almost turn into a Larry Clark film, actually, if it was <laughs> not directed carefully enough. Uh, but I do think it's a very sweet moment between the two characters. But I also have issues with it too because they do seem like characters or actors reading the script instead of being in the moment. It's like they're yeah. just repeating words instead of just being in there. And they're not even using the type of uh, rhythm and style that Wes Anderson gives to his actors. They seem to be just kids who are reading a script, which is understandable. I'm sure this is the first thing that they've done. Um, but they, it seems like they haven't seen enough Wes Anderson movies <laughs> to really yeah. get into that type of style right there. And that's just kind of like how I feel about them. Uh, maybe maybe that was the whole point of the movie. Maybe we weren't supposed to have them be as good as the other actors because we want to see them just be genuinely real kids. Um, mm -hmm. I do know that scene on the beach, uh, that was actually on the, like, that was on the very last day of filming just so that the actors could be comfortable um, to be with each other, and it was very much a, a plot set with just the DP, Robert uh, Yeoman, and Wes Anderson on set. So, oh. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I, I feel like they probably handled it very well, and, you know, I'm sure the actors were comfortable, and there was nothing weird or creepy going on. I think I agree with you that some of the acting in the scene, there's one line in particular that really bugs me and almost ruins the scene for me, but, but it's when he's like, okay, tilt your head to the side. And I don't understand why he's saying that. And it feels like you said, like it feels like a line. Cause I don't understand where it's coming from. It just, mm -hmm. it's, it's a bit awkward in the not good way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, uh, you have a little too much control over what's going on here. Guy. You, I don't think you've been with that many girls, but maybe who knows? Maybe he has, maybe it's a secret playboy for being like 12 years old. So who knows there? Um, yeah. All right, uh, so we got into that moment there. See, for me, it's really difficult to find a favorite scene of this movie. Uh, but if I had to pick one kind of favorite scene of this, 
and it's it's really short. And I'm picking the scene mainly because I just really liked the actress. And I'm picking the moment when uh, Tilda Swinton comes in near the end as the uh, social ser- the social service worker, and she comes in there. Actually, there's two scenes. There's one where she's actually talking to Edward Norton on the phone. As you know, it's Edward Norton and uh, Bruce Willis on the phone, and she's discussing where to find the boy, that the boy is very dangerous, and of course there's a moment at the end uh, when she shows up and she's being all very stoic and has that uh, kind of bluish, purplish suit on her. Where's the boy? We don't know yet. That's not acceptable. What do you want me to say later? I'm gonna get Jed a cup of coffee. You're Captain Sharp. That's correct. I'm Social Services. I remanded the boy into your personal custody. You're responsible for his safety. I'm told that he's just been struck by lightning. It's the first I've heard of it. It's true. Scoutmaster Ward, I presume? Yes, ma'am. Your reputation precedes you. You two are the most appallingly incompetent custodial guardian Social Services has ever had the misfortune to encounter in a 27-year career. What do you have to say for yourselves? You can't do this. They'll eat him alive in there. Where? Same place again? Juvenile refuge. Juvenile refuge. Sounds like jail. Just find the boy and deliver him to social services. Nothing else is in your power. I'm sorry. Can we get back to the rescue now? Susie is still out there. Who are you? Walt and Laura Bishop. Their daughter's the missing girl. The parents of the stabber? I object to that description. She was attacked. Excuse me. I want the details about that. Where's the scout you knifed? Right here. What's his condition? He may suffer some limited chronic kidney insufficiency. Here's the report. We don't have time for that. She's right. Let's go. Stop! Nobody's going anywhere. He's not getting shock therapy. That's it! I am citing you for gross misconduct. You are hereby summoned. I'm writing you all back! Be notified that you stand accused of mistreatment. What are you talking about? I won't let you do it. Look! And she's trying to find out where they are. I know it's a small moment, and she has a very small part in this, but anything that Tilda Swinton appears in, I think it's incredible. In fact, I'm watching this film, and you have both her and Fred. Are you still there? Yep. Okay. Still yeah. there. I don't know if you can hear. It started raining real heavy on me. Okay. No, that's fine. I, I, I just thought. Okay. Yeah. We're good. So you have uh, both Tilda Swinton and Francis McDormand. Um, two great actors who can basically emote anger, but also evoke heartbreak and humor. And I want them so badly to be in a movie together. I know they have like no <laughs> really big scenes in this, but I'm like watching those two actresses together, and I'm thinking, oh gosh, just put them in like a revenge comedy, or just put them together. Yeah. Well, they were in Burn After Reading, but they, I don't think they had any scenes together. Or maybe one scene towards the beginning of that film, but, yeah, but nothing they, major. They'd like play off each other. So, yeah, I'm picking my favorite yeah. moments as the ones that have Tillis Swinton. Um, I do, well, I'll get into another moment later because I just thought about it now, but there are some great moments between uh, Bruce Willis and uh, the, kid, the kid who plays Samson. I can't believe I just forgot his name because he hasn't been much anything else. Um, well, yeah. The, uh, Jerry Gilman, there's some great sequences where they're out handing out at uh, Bruce Willis's cabin, um, and I thought that was a really heartwarming moment because you get to see them both uh, connect with each other as like father and sons do. But it's very generic, so yeah, I'm sticking to it though. The moments they have Tilda Swinton as a social worker are my favorite moments of the film because it brings like a lot of life into the film when she shows up. And it yeah. gives the film a lot of like reaction because you think to yourself, holy shit, she's going to be the one to actually take these kids away. Like most of the parents and the scoutmasters, yeah, they want to find them, but they want to cause any to harm to them. This girl, Tilda uh, Swinton, she wants to put the Sam character into shock therapy. So I just think it, it brings a lot of um, tension and suspense to an otherwise very dull storyline. 
Yeah, it doesn't come in until over halfway into the movie, I think, is when they have their first conversation with her. And I think the movie could have benefited from having that sort of tension earlier, yeah. I think. And just Tilda Swinton being in it more, because I think you have so many characters in this movie doing the sort of, I, I don't want to say drab, but I kind of do want to say drab. <laughs> um, Wes Anderson's like, performance that's kind of really subdued emotions. And you have almost every character in this film is doing that except for maybe some of the kids and then Tilda Swinton I think she comes in she's this sort of breath of fresh air when she comes in because she's not quite doing it to that same level she's very stern she's very like interesting it's giving kind of like a a little bit of an over-the-top performance in some ways and I like that I think the film deserved to have that over-the-topness um I like some I like in a lot of Wes Anderson's features there's always the straight guy and then there's the one that's very bombastic and I think this film just need to have that a little bit more uh, I kind of wanted to have that with the kids I wanted each of them to be different I mean yes they are but they're not we get the fact um, that the boy is very kind of nerdish and I know the girl is not appreciated by her family uh, so they have that connection right there but they seem to still be the same. Like you could easily yeah, switch genders. Yeah. So they could easily do that and just be just the same right there. But yeah, I I like what you said about Tilda Swinton. I'm happy that you agree that that's a great moment with her. Um, I guess let's kind of delve into this too right now. I mean, what was your biggest issue with this movie? Was it the actors? Was it the storyline? Direction. I think. Yeah, I mean, direction, I think, is uh, at least on point in terms of, like, visual style. Because I think, you know, from start to finish, every shot in this film is great. I I think it's hard to argue against that. Like, everything in it has that Wes Anderson feel, and it's, like, very interesting. It's all got that sort of, like, yellow tint to it, which works with the movie. I think all of that's really good. It's, But I think it is, like, the two main characters, I just, I can't quite connected with them they just don't really have enough going on and as we've said a couple of times i think it just goes to them being either two young of actors that don't have the experience to carry this material or two actors who are attempting to be actors in a wes anderson movie mm-hmm. like um so that's that's one of my biggest issues uh, we've kind of talked about that though so another different one that i don't understand and maybe you might have a little insight into this for me but I kind of have an issue with the fact that the dog dies in that one scene where they have a little standoff. Yeah. The Boy Scouts. And, and, um, just real quick, uh, it's like, you know, dogs die in a film and that's, I don't inherently have issues with that, but I, I struggle to see what that does to the movie other than have a sad moment where a dog dies. And it's not really, like, a sad... He seems, he seems to do that in a lot of his films, because I think Buckley dies in Royal Tenenbaums. Um, yeah. I understand your frustration with that scene. I do, because I didn't even know the dog was in the frame of their battle until it yeah. cuts to the arrow being in him. And it was, like, just really, like, all of a sudden... And I did not even see a kid shoot an arrow. I may be wrong, but I may have yeah. been on my phone or something <laughs> like that, but I did not see a moment of anybody pulling an arrow back and flying it. I think there's a shot of the arrow flying through the air, but I don't think we ever see who actually shoots it. But I don't know if he's so, trying to – yeah, but was he – I'm sure he wasn't aiming for a dart. I'm sure he was aiming for Sam or the girl, Sam or Susie. And yeah. usually if you do shots like that, you would see a sequence of a dart run in to maybe jump up and save them. But we don't even see that. We just cut to the dog's dead. And just threw me through a loop. I'm like, wow, that's kind of gruesome. Jeez, Wes. Yeah, it's gruesome. And, and I think it would be okay if it led to something. But to my recollection, the dog belongs to the scout troop. Yeah. And the boys that are looking for the two main characters. So it's not even either of the two main characters' dogs. So there's no, there's no like revenge for the dog getting killed from either side there's no connection to the main character like oh i've lost my dog or it just doesn't add up to anything and it, it feels like this 
sort of superfluous moment meant to shock you only. Yeah. I think one the one issue I had with the movie and one scene that kind of felt out of place for me was the whole moment after um so in the movie they do find the kids and they separate them and the scouts try to bring them back together and they're all at this uh church watching this play Tilda Swinton shows up, wants to know where the kids are, and they all go out to this roof area, the steeple, they're all trying to escape, and as this and done with movies before where people are trying to escape some sort of like mad killer, um, but Tilda Swinton never chases after them, it's actually Bruce Willis who's going up there to try and save them, and I think it's just the whole setting of it just being them up high, that seemed very unnecessary and just really led nothing to it and just having like a random latent crash happening and the building fall over and then they fall and Bruce Willis catches them it just felt really didn't need to be there plus I don't understand why they were kind of run away in the first place I mean even if they do get separated at the end it doesn't really matter anyways because Bruce Willis still brings Sam over to Susie's place anyways to, for them to hang out and he still sneaks out through her window so I guess it really made no difference if they were separated or not because Bruce Willis still decides to adopt him at the end he still brings him over to her house to hang out with her so I just felt that whole sequence at the end with them being chased up high just really added no dramatic weight to it at all. But that's just me. Yeah, well, I think, as we've said, the Tilda Swinton character adds the tension and the possibility of him being taken away. And she's, like you said, not in that scene at all once they go out. And she should be there. She should be trying to take them. And every problem with her is actually resolved off screen, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Because Bruce Willis just says, we've there, I'm going to adopt you now. And that's all taken care of. And like, we never actually see that conversation or any debate about that at all. Like, so your whole, I guess, villain is kind of taken away off screen. And yeah, you're right. She should be there. Oh gosh. I just thought of this right now. I would like to have Tilda Swinton be in a remake of Matilda. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember that? That would be great. Old, remember the old movie from the nineties. Danny DeVito directed it. Uh, Mara Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. She's the, the girl in it. And, she had the kind of the, the evil teacher yep. sort of thing going on. I would, yeah. ha- I would like to have Tilda Swinton be the evil teacher in that one. Yeah, so. yeah, that makes sense. All right. I don't, I'm just bringing up other movies from the 90s that I shouldn't have yeah. talked about for Rest <laughs> Kingdom. Um, yeah, I, I, that's really all I have to say about this movie. I, I know there's a lot of people out there that really love this movie because you voted it to win the poll. And I'm happy that you went onto the site and you voted the movie but I really wanted you to vote Royal Tenenbaums or Rushmore, <laughs> all right? I really did, because I had more moments to talk about those movies than I did this. Um, it, it's fine, all right? It, it's not a total... I didn't hate my time watching this, and it's not that long of a movie where you're constantly watching the clock, and you're like, oh, gosh, please get this over with. I hate my life right now. It, it's, it's fine. It, it does its purpose well. It's got all your Wes Anderson-isms that you like in other films. So, yeah, I know reading in close interviews, uh, Wes Anderson wanted to talk about the first time, you know, he fell in love with his girlfriend and the whole nature of childhood romance. And I did that, how I could feel like nothing else in the world matters. And that's actually a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, that's, that's all I really have to say about that. Sure. I, I think that there's a lot of singular short moments in this movie that are really enjoyable just because they're either like funny or quirky or cute. Yeah. But big sequences as a whole, it's, it's hard to find things. I, I do briefly want to mention my favorite, favorite, like small moment that happens in the film is that's the comedy bit at the very beginning with Edward Norton when he's walking through, like seeing all of the troops. Th- that whole bit is very funny to me, okay. but particularly when he sees the... Uh, the treehouse, the people building the treehouse, they've got all the wood. And he's like, what's that wood for? And they said, a treehouse. And he said, where is it? And it cuts to that wide shot. And the treehouse is like, like 
50 yards up in the air at the top of the skinny up at the top of like skinny tree like that's a great bit of like almost like looney tunes ish silent comedy humor to me that i really love like i think that's hilarious okay uh, <laughs> i wanted to say something positive about the film. that that that's good yeah i like i like the 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 soundtrack to this uh, i think the story is actually really good and i think it's a like alexander desplat alexander desplat uh, he does yeah. some of the main themes of this, and I I, I enjoy that. Um, I do like watching Wes Anderson movies, even if it's like very lesser ones. Um, yeah, I I I've really got nothing to say. Um, if I guess if you had to grade this movie, how would you grade it between like one and five stars? Between one and five? Yeah. Uh, pr- probably about a three. Three? Yeah, yeah, I'm a little less on you. I'm going to do this one about two and a half stars. All right. Oh. Uh, I think the I think the uh, his regulars are fine in this. Um, uh, it's just the storyline's not really that engaging. Um, I, I kind of find surprised too that Bruce Willis hasn't appeared in another Wes Anderson movie because I thought his role as the police chief was good. It's it's very subdued performance, but I thought he was actually really quite effective in this. And I thought he had some really good tender moments between him and the boy. And I would like to see him appear in other films. He seems like a Wes Anderson regular without really trying to be. Yeah, he's generally kind of a subdued, low-key sort of actor, and I think he fits in really well. And that that scene with him and the boy, he has one of my favorite lines because I think it kind of sums up what the kids are going through and why they want to run away. But he says, he says, you know, you make a lot of good points, kid, but I can't argue with you, but I don't have to because you're 12. Okay. And <laughs> Which then, I think is really in, yeah. like this sort of line that carries a whole lot to it about like you're 12 you may be right but i'm an adult <laughs> yeah yeah you're, you're smart i was saying here but uh i'm still the adult you're the child right <laughs> yeah uh, and i think my favorite line that sam says to Susie is i love you but you don't know what you're talking about <laughs> all right yeah that's one of my favorite lines there um yeah i think it's to wrap up our discussion about moonrise kingdom uh kind of keep it at short this episode um, I don't have a poll for next episode, but I am excited because our next episode is going to feature some really great guests. We're going to have on there Matt from Next Best Picture Podcast, uh, JD and Brendan uh, from Intention Film Podcast. Uh, we're also going to have on, I'm just trying to pull up my notes here about this, but yeah, really other great, oh, um, um, Data Buckler from Hollow's movie and a few others and we're going to be discussing about film criticism in the age of film Twitter and what made someone a legitimately a film critic and looking to discuss them versus someone that's just trying to get random hits on their websites and just that's kind of the idea that I'm going through um, I want to say a big thank you to you, Justin, for being on this episode. Uh, anything new come up with uh, Casual Cinecast or uh, nothing new other than new movies? We'll be covering them. You know, we put out a podcast every week, usually Thursdays, and I think our next episode, which I'm actually going to be missing, is on Incredibles two. Okay. And then I think after that, we're picking back up on our Criterion collection, and our next film is, and that is Spy Number Twenty, which is Dead Ringers by David Cronenberg. Ooh. Oh gosh! All right. Uh, <laughs> I, I, we, there's a friend of the show. Um, her, her name is Kristen Lopez. Uh, she's one of the co- co-hosts of Walt Semi Podcast, and she does another one called Tickless Biz. And she actually is a kind of a big fan of that movie because of Jeremy Irons. Mm-hmm. So she actually did a whole like blog about all the movies of Jeremy Irons. She actually watched all the movies that he did in a row. And that's oh, wow. one that she talked about uh, a lot in there. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited to see this. I like the fact too that you do Criterion re- Criterion releases that are not just on Blu-ray. You do the older Criterion editions, and that's really kind of cool because it gives me a chance to revisit old ones that I used to have or still have, and revisit that one. So. Yeah, yeah. We started at when they started releasing DVDs. So I think we talked about the Laserdisc earlier, but we we didn't include the Laserdisc spine numbers because mm-hmm. those are a different set. But starting with like number one on their DVDs, and so there's a lot of stuff they haven't put out on Blu-ray. All right. So there's 
a lot of good stuff to dive into. Well, very cool, very cool. Uh, again, tell the listeners out there, Justin, where they can find you and everything that you do. Yeah, so you can find our podcast uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Casual Cinecast. We also have a Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Casual Cinecast. And we also respond to emails directly, which is casualcinemedia at gmail.com. And lastly, uh, we have a website, casualcinemedia at gmail. Oh, that's the email. (laughs) (laughs) Almost said the email again, casualcinemedia.com. Very cool. Very cool. Um... Yeah, I think that's going to wrap up things right now. As always, folks, you can listen to all of our past episodes. Just go to the site, thatmomentin.com. We are on a great podcast network, including Game Warp, TV Good, Sleep Bad, uh, and Asian Cinema Film Club. And so I greatly urge you all to go check that out. You can find the That Moment In podcast network over on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Podomatic, Spotify, Player FM, a whole bunch of other places. Uh, Cinema Recall can be reached on Twitter. We are at Cinema underscore Recall. We also have a Facebook page where I try to post other things than just episodes. Just type in Cinema Recall on your Facebook search engine. Email us suggestions over at Cinema Recall at gmail.com um, love to hear what movies you want me to cover um, I know I should be having a poll picked up for this episode but I promise you I promise you on our next episode I will have a new poll picked out alright but until then thank you all very much for listening big thank you to our guest Justin for bringing his views and opinions to a film that we both weren't fans of, but we went through it and had a good time, I hope. And yeah. We, yeah, you know, yeah, we always have a good times on the show right there. So thank you all very much for listening, and we will see you next week. All right. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you, man. Dun, dun.